Warning, the following episode contains sexual assault. If you are sensitive to this topic, please listen at your own discretion. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 2 of Injustice We Trust. I'm your host, Laura, and today's episode is a little different. Do you know what your rights are if you were ever held in police custody? You don't have to be arrested in order to be questioned by the police, so you should have full awareness of what your rights are as a citizen. This law came from a criminal himself instead of a victim of a crime, and it's practiced every single day and something you hear all the time in the news, on TV, and in the movies. This is the story of Ernesto Miranda. Ernesto was born on March 9, 1941 in Mesa, Arizona. He was slim with dark hair and eyes. From a very young age, he showed signs of troubled behavior. His mother died and his father remarried. He was distant from his remaining family. Ernesto's first criminal conviction was when he was in the 8th grade. He was convicted of burglary and was sent to reform school. He was in and out of reform school for years and was then arrested on suspicion of armed robbery and sex offenses. At 18 years old, Ernesto drifted around from Texas then to Tennessee, living on the streets, stealing, and then later arrested for driving a stolen car, which he went to federal prison for a year. After he got out, he kept himself out of trouble for a few years by working in various places. Ernesto started working as a laborer at a night-loading dock in Phoenix. He was living with girlfriend Twyla Hoffman, a 29-year-old mother of a boy and a girl by another man. On March 3, 1963, 18-year-old Lois Ann Jameson had been working in the concession stand at a movie theater in downtown Phoenix. As usual, she boarded the public bus after work to get home. She got out of the bus at her stop and started making her way home by walking. A car has been following Lois, driven by 22-year-old Ernesto Miranda. Ernesto got out of his car and forced Lois into the back seat. This is the first time Lois has ever seen Ernesto before. Ernesto then drove 20 minutes out into the desert where it was completely secluded. He then stopped the car and sexually assaulted Lois. After he was done, Ernesto drove Lois back into the city. As he was dropping her off, he said to her, pray for me, before leaving her. Terrified, Lois ran home and told her family immediately, who then contacted the police. 
Lois met with the detectives and described what she could remember. Her attacker drove a car that was green or gray and had dark upholstery with stripes. One week later, a family member of Lois spotted a car with the same description in the neighborhood and got a partial license plate number and then provided it to the police. From the partial license plate, the detectives determined that the suspect was Ernesto Miranda. On March 13th, 10 days after the assault, Phoenix police officer Carol Cooley and Wilfred Young confronted Ernesto, who voluntarily accompanied them to the station and participated in a lineup as a person of interest. At the lineup, Lois was unable to identify Ernesto as her attacker. However, the police implied to him that he was positively identified. After two hours of interrogation, Ernesto finally confessed to the crime. He was never informed of his rights to have an attorney present throughout the whole interrogation. Ernesto was then taken to the victim, Lois, for positive voice identification. The police asked Ernesto if that person pointing at Lois was the victim, in which he replied, that's the girl. Lois, in return, stated that his voice matched the man who kidnapped and assaulted her. Ernesto Miranda wrote out his confession on a sheet of paper with a printed certification on top stating, quote, This statement has been made voluntarily and of my own free will, with no threats, coercion, or promises of immunity, and with full knowledge of my legal rights. Understanding any statement I make can and will be used against me. Although Ernesto was agreeing that he had full knowledge of his legal rights, he was actually not informed of his right to have an attorney present or of his right to remain silent. 73-year-old Alvin Moore was assigned to Ernesto as his attorney and represented him at the trial, which took place in June 1963. Alvin Moore objected to entering Ernesto's confession as evidence, but it was overruled by the judge. Due to Ernesto's confession, he was convicted of rape and kidnapping and sentenced to 20 to 30 years on both charges. Alvin Moore appealed to the Arizona Supreme Court, but the conviction was upheld. While Ernesto Miranda filed for pauper, which helps people in poverty, he submitted a plea to have his case reviewed by the Supreme Court in 1965, two years later. Alvin Moore was in poor health and could not take this case, so John Flynn a criminal defense attorney was asked by ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, to serve pro bono along with a few other attorneys. Ernesto's defense team wrote a 2,500-word petition that argued that Ernesto Miranda's Fifth Amendment rights has been violated and sent it to the United States Supreme Court. Later that year, in November 1965, the Supreme Court agreed to hear their case in Miranda v. Arizona. In January 1966, D. 
defense arguments were submitted stating that Miranda's Sixth Amendment right to counsel had been violated by the Phoenix police in which the state of Arizona countered argued against. John Flynn, his attorney, stated that he was never informed of his right to remain silent when he was arrested and interrogated, which added a violation to the Fifth Amendment. He also stated a man like Ernesto Miranda had a limited education and should not be expected to know his Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate himself. Gary Nelson, who spoke on behalf of the people of Arizona, argued that forcing police to advise suspects of their rights would seriously obstruct public safety. The court decision was in favor of Ernesto Miranda, stating, quote, The person in custody must, prior to interrogation, be clearly informed that he has the right to remain silent and that anything he says will be used against him in court. He must be clearly informed that he has the right to consult with a lawyer and to have a lawyer with him during the interrogation and that if he is indigent, a lawyer will be appointed to represent him." End quote. On June 13, 1966, police departments nationwide started to issue Miranda warning cards to their officers to recite. It states the following you have all heard before. Quote, you have the right to remain silent. If you give up the right to remain silent, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney and to have an attorney present during questioning. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided to you at no cost. During any questioning, you may decide at any time to exercise these rights, not answering any questions or making any statements. Do you understand these rights as I have read them to you? Unquote. If law enforcement officials decline to read a Miranda warning to an individual in their custody, they may interrogate that person and act upon the knowledge gained, but may not use that person's statement as evidence against them in a criminal trial. There are rights that the Supreme Court resisted efforts to require fully. For example, the police are not required to advise the suspect in custody that they can stop the interrogation at any time, that the decision to exercise the right cannot be used against the suspect, or that they have the right to talk to a lawyer before they ask any questions. Jurisdictions also vary from state to state. For juveniles, some jurisdictions provide the right to remain silent if their parent or guardian is not present. In the four states bordering Mexico, which are Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California, suspects who are not U.S. citizens are given an additional warning. Quote, if you are not a United States citizen, you may contact your country's consulate prior to any questioning. Unquote. States such as California, Texas, New York, Florida, Illinois, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Washington, and Pennsylvania at the following two questions. Do you understand each of these rights I have explained to you? And also, having these rights in mind, do you wish to talk to us now? A consent to both of the above questions waives the rights. 
If the suspect responds no to the first question, the officer is required to reread the Miranda warning, while saying no to the second question invokes the right at the moment. In either cases, the interviewing law enforcement cannot question the suspect until the rights are waived. There is also a standard protocol to appropriately give a disabled person their Miranda right, for example, a deaf individual, or if certain words may not be understood by people with limited education. In one case, a deaf murder suspect was kept at a therapy station until he was able to understand the meaning of the Miranda warning and other proceedings. The Miranda right rule applies to the use of testimonial evidence in criminal proceedings, which is the product of custodial police interrogation. The Miranda right to counsel and right to remain silent come from self-incrimination clause of the Fifth Amendment. Therefore, for a Miranda right to apply, there are six requirements that must be fulfilled, all in which you can find online. 1. Evidence must have been gathered. 2. The evidence must be testimonial. 3. The evidence must have been attained while the suspect was in custody. 4. The evidence must have been the product of interrogation. 5. The interrogation must have been conducted by state agents. 6. The evidence must be offered by the state during criminal prosecution. In 1990, in Illinois v. Perkins, the United States Supreme Court concluded that Undercover officers do not have to give suspects a Miranda warning prior to asking questions that may elicit incriminating responses. In this case, an undercover agent posed as an inmate and had a 35-minute conversation with another inmate that was suspected of committing a murder that was being investigated. During this conversation, the suspect implicated himself in the murder being investigated. In 2009, there were reports of detainees captured in Afghanistan being read their Miranda rights by the FBI, seen by witnesses. According to the Justice Department, there has been no policy change nor blanket instructions for FBI agents to Mirandize detainees overseas. While there have been specific cases in which FBI agents have Mirandized suspects overseas at both Bagram and other situations, in order to preserve the quality of evidence obtained, there has been no overall policy change with respect to detainees. So, what happened to Ernesto Miranda? Well, he was retried for the second time, and his original confession was not introduced into evidence. However, he was still convicted, based on a testimony from his estranged wife, and then he was sentenced to 20 to 30 years in prison. In 1972, Ernesto was paroled at 31 years old. After his release, he sold autographed Miranda warning cards for $1.50. Over the next few years, he was arrested numerous times for driving offenses, possession of a gun, and was sent back to prison for another year. On January 31st, 1976, after his release, a violent fight broke out in a bar in downtown Phoenix. Miranda received a deadly stab wound from a knife, 
and he was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital at 34 years old. Several Miranda cards were found on him. So, if you ever find yourself in a bad situation with law enforcement, innocent or guilty, know your rights as a citizen. Remember, this applies to both what the police says and what they don't say. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Injustice We Trust. I'm your host, Laura Pye. Be safe out there.